Hey everybody, this is Gwithaint, currently listening to Empire of the Necromancers by Doom Catacomb. And I'd like to talk about the origins of my mega dungeon campaign, Northport. I started working on this around 2002 and briefly ran a chunk of it on um, the largely defunct play-by-web uh, dot com, which before there was a mass migration over to rpol.net. Um, and I'm really talking about about a thousand people who play um, text games on uh, what essentially is a glorified bulletin board system. Yeah, I'm old school. Um, rpol.net is where I currently host my game, Northport which is a GURPS dungeon fantasy game that is set in a faux medieval France um, in a post-plague world in a city that is built on top of a mega dungeon. Now, there are a couple of items that were inspirational to this. One of them is Dragon Magazine number 138, which I recently got on eBay, but I had had back in the day um, and held on to up until it was destroyed along with a lot of other things with a flood in my storage unit. Around that same time, the stuff that wasn't wet, I gave to a friend of mine because I had a lot of lead and kids under 10, and I hadn't played anything in 10 or 12 years. Much to my wife's chagrin, I've since rebought all of my first edition stuff, but not any of the second edition or uh, Call of Cthulhu. But there are a few items I'd held on to, which was mostly GURP stuff, although I did dispense with a large number of those as well, simply due to lack of storage and kind of disinterested in uh, the, some of the smaller settings. So in this Dragon magazine, there's an article called The End of the World by Eileen Lucas, and it's about the Black Plague. I've written a couple of, read a couple of other things about the Black Plague. And the most significant thing about this, about setting up a campaign, is that it wasn't just 20 to 30% of the world population that died. It wasn't, you know, one person in three or one person in five. It was one village in five, one castle in five. And that creates a whole bunch of circumstances where you're going to have a ruin to investigate where everything is still there and that there are places where villages disappeared there's mass migration of the remaining people because you don't have enough people to support a village or the lord's dead and the serfs meander around so that was the the aspect of there being a lot of available real estate and a large scattering of unexplored ruins. Now, I also made it happen, given the what I liked about it, the late medieval period and the early Renaissance, um, 1348 is the time of uh, the Black Plague. So my campaign takes place roughly in 1388, a little over two generations later, and where the world is still suffering from the effects of the plague. Now, I pulled a page out of Catherine Kerr's Dagger Spell series and had the plague moved largely because of an expansion and a war. 
that moved it along with. I mean, yes, of course, the Norway rats have enormous amounts to do with this. Um, I think a lot of the European plague started with one ship um, drifting into harbor after, and the people at the time blamed an earthquake that released um, some foul gases out of a cave. Now, that there can be pockets of disease here and there is one thing, but they generally believed that the plague was caused by, an, by a, ga- a foul-smelling gas. Um, that being aside, I went with the rats. Um, part of the history of my, my world is based off of um, Earth, Y-R-T-H, the GURPS Bainstorm setting, which was kind of like that there was a lot of all the people who went missing over the years went someplace and brought along their belief systems and things. So in in the beginning when I started this, I was working with um, the assumptions of Bainstorm that the medieval culture existed because a lot of the structures that we have in our world were present in part of it. So in, in Bainstorm, you've got the, the religions are real-world religions, and you've got priests and rabbis and imams walking about, and people are just people. And it, it's, it's a thing. You, you can't quite have the medieval society without um, the presence of a state-sponsored religion. It just doesn't quite work out the right way. Um, at least if you're pulling back into some stretch of realism. I'm not going in the direction of... Um, Dark Cults of um, Albion and whatnot. I picked those up at one point. Some of my artwork appears in them, but I really dislike um, Pundit and his trappings. But the plague made a time of change. One thing, you can go around calling um, someone throwing out miracles here and there as being, you know, the work of the devil or what have you, if you're the other church. But if um, a lot of people in your church die of the plague and people can get healing from anybody who serves a deity, it kind of makes uh, the, the dominant church loses a foothold. And people are more open to believing in just about anything. And for that matter, it opens the door to atheism in a way because it's like, hey, if all the gods are real, then none of them are, none of them are supreme. They're just powers. It's like making a transaction with a magic user somewhere. Um, and in GURPS, you've got a lot of uh, systematic advantages and things like having disease resistance or immunity having luck, the kind of things that would keep you free of a plague even if you don't have a cleric candy. And then there's the problem that, you know, the real selfless clerics then go around healing everyone, forget to heal themselves, and then the disease runs rampant around. But in any case, um, my faux medieval French world, um, where everyone is the empire of Aral, and everyone speaks Aralais. That's a pull straight out of Bainstorm. The the country next door is Shevnia, which is kind of Slavonic country that used to be unified and got into a very costly war with invading orcs. Now, at this point, 
just about everybody in Chevenia, kind of like Lesseturn and more, um, can claim some amount of orcish blood, although most of them would deny it. Um, and orcs are being hired as the local militia. You know, what, you know, you do 20 years of service, you'll get a plot of land. And there's a lot of empty land in Chevenia um, between the war and the plague. Now, one of the big things that was uh, part of my campaign recently was that there was, this was the first adventure I started writing like 10 years ago, was that part of the war was lost because the pay was late and a bunch of mercenaries revolted. And, you know, real horseshoe nail circumstance. And they had an adventure about someone having a map to find out where the pay went. Now, it was like 38 pounds of silver, and coinage in GURPS is different, in, in, at least in Dungeon Fantasy. You're not dealing with big, thick coins the size of a silver dollar that weigh an ounce. You're dealing with um, coins the size of a dime, and... Or, uh, a copper coin is what'll buy you a loaf of bread. Uh, two coppers make up a meal. Ten of them are worth a, a silver piece, which, or twenty of them are worth a silver piece, and four of those are, are, are gold. And a couple pounds of silver is, you know, each pound is about 255 coins. So that is, you know, $5,000 a pound. So it, it comes out to a bit. Now, what does $5,000 get you? A sword costs seven, a decent sword costs you seven fifty, and a suit of plate mail costs 20000 So it's a small fortune. Now, I had characters head out for this, and they um, had a bard with them, and at one point, the, they... they run into a couple of bandits who are traveling with them in hopes of robbing them and they t the bard decided to bullshit them and tell them that they were actually searching after um the the tomb of a lich who had an army of liches who had this gigantic crown with tourmalines on it and the it turned out to match up with a local legend that had based on the giant under the snow which is a fabulous book. Hold on one second while I look it up. Giant Under the Snow is a children's fantasy book by John Gordon, published in 1968, and has to do with a bunch of children who find a magical artifact that was left behind by a warlord who traveled across England, and the problem is, is that he's still around, and the artifact allows him to um, animate one of the chalk men of the hillside, essentially an enormous elemental. And he traveled with that, laid waste to everything, and along with him, and they run into these, are a whole bunch of um, mummified um, soldiers who had been part of a Viking burial. And the book is great. You, they, they, the kids hook up with a witch who gives them backpacks of flying, and they end up having this huge battle against um, the, the giant elemental and the warlord. Terrific stuff. Had a deep impact on me. Um, 
So I, I created a similar circumstance. There was a giant elemental walking around and someone was using uh, an artifact to control it that originally belonged to um, Astravan, who is this uh, lich warlord. And he happened to have in his lair a whole boatload of whites. I mean, it was a great little adventure. And someone had gone to hide the stolen pay train um, you know, the 20 pounds of gold of silver that was supposed to have funded the army and hid it in a place where no one would go, which was this guy's tomb. And, you know, a couple of coins, specific coins resurfaced because these were um, freshly minted is what was taking them so long to get out there. And it was a great long adventure that involved betrayal and accidents and undead gnolls and all kinds of stuff like that but like i said the the plague was an instrumental thing in the building of northport i already said i was using ruins of the undercity as an inspiration for it that's kabuki kaisers uh, much like the seven at one blow that i mentioned last time sorry i keep pausing to um, make notes so that that way the blog that goes along with this will have links to everything um, my blog happens to be called Northport um, Adventures in uh, Dungeons Fantasy and it can be found on WordPress if you look up uh, www.wordpress.com slash gwithaint.ny now why Gwithaint? Um, Gwithaint is a war eagle that belongs to um, Arun or Arun from um, the Taran Wanderer tales, which start with The Book of Three and The Black Cauldron by Lloyd Alexander, which was really influential on me. And the issue is that there's a Gwithaint in the story who is an injured being, who is injured and is rescued and is fierce. And while it sticks to its own nature, it's fiercely loyal. And that has been my, um, my, my online name for a while in one way or another. Um, so another thing that Northport is based on is Cappadocia, which is um, an underground city in Turkey that is, exists for miles. It was discovered in the 60s and, or some of it was known well before that, but the extent of the tunnels was discovered when some guy was digging in his basement and broke into something that went down three stories and carried off for a couple of miles. And that might have been very influential to um, Holmes, who looked at the idea of the underworld as just being right one shovel full away from you. There'd be dungeons everywhere all over the planet. Um, and, you know, from examining this, that might have been the case. Now, one wonders why people would go and live underground. And the answer is obvious to us. They're avoiding attacks from the air. And it made me think there was a Dungeons and Dragons comic that was out there at one point. And they actually gave a good explanation for why there should be man-sized doors in the Underdark. And it's to keep dragons out of your corridors. And that made a brilliant amount of sense. So my Undercity has got, um, was built originally to keep the dragons out and built down and built deep. 
Now, I looked at, you know, reasons for having a functional undercity. What would you need? I got some inspiration from um, uh, Cormall, which was in one of the Fritz Lieber stories. I can't remember which, but um, Fawford and the Grey Mouse who went down there and ended up working for opposing brothers who were running the joint. I mean, there was one dude there who looked like he had, tried to fake it out that he had ESP and could always see what was going on with his eyes closed, but he actually had pierced lids that had little tiny um, plugs in them that let him see through his eyes when they were closed. Um, but they had, um, the air was circulated by these specially bred slaves with thick legs who would walk on treadmills to move fans. And that, you know, was a reasonable thing as to how there was air down there. And having watched a series on Discovery about after we're gone, how long it will take for the subway system to flood and all of our buildings to fall apart and for feral cats to become the apex predators in cities. Um, and I thought about pumping systems and things like that. And, you know, I've watched a lot of... Um, Cities of the Underworld uh, thing on Discovery, you know, when they go around and look, wander around the, the tunnels under the Colosseum and things like that um, as further inspiration. And, um, you know, I always thought there was some game I had seen that was how to build a mega dungeon. You didn't actually end up with one, but it was how to come up with the story of why the thing was there. And one of the things that was significant was choosing what group of people was responsible for the building. Now, in Northport, it is known that the place was originally built by goblins, and plenty of goblins live in the city, and most of the uh, cheap artwork, uh, artifacts are manufactured by their artisans. Um, you know, dwarves do it better, but... Okay, back again, sorry. My wife wanted to come into the room I was recording, so I paused. Um, and another um, influence, of course, was is something that's always influenced me, uh, Barbara Nin Byfield's um, The Glass Harmonica, which had these great, which is an awesome book. Uh, according to Zeb Cook, it is one of the inspirations for the Monster Manual and the way it was laid out. Um, it is an encyclopedia written in 1967 of all kinds of fantastical motifs. It's got appendixes with um, um, weights and measures system from the medieval period. It's got very pithy little um, entries on all manner of topics, including mythological beasts, the, the, what, what's in the underworld, cat, the difference between a castle and a palace, types of weapons. Dwarves, sorcerers, everything with great illustrations. It was later re-released in 73 as the Book of the Weird as a paperback. And get it, get your hands on it if you possibly can. But that was that's been um, definitely an influence on my gaming aesthetic for a long time. I'm gonna include a link. Now, another thing that was uh, going back to uh, Quarmall and air circulation, it was a uh, nifty thing in Michael Curtis's Stonehill dungeon where there were these monoliths that created air or were a portal to the elemental plane of air. And I had 
something that resembled. Um, there were, you know, big shafts where um, air was released. And also there's unseen shafts heading upward where air was drawn in. Um, and the creatures I have operating that, there's a critter in, in, in GURPS Dungeons & Fantasy called a Siege Beast. Which looks like an ogre with plate mail bolted to its body and tools attached to its hands. Um, I've got undead ones operating the, um, the treadmills. Not that anyone's gotten down that far yet. They, they did run into um, a work crew that were um, cultivating um, some, created, uh, some impenetrable uh, created stone to reinforce a cavern where something had fallen. Um, they had, early on in the game, I had someone tell me they wanted to play a lich. So I built up a template of one and a circumstance for why would you not have your massive empire of the undead that one would expect a lich to have already. And part of it was um, because of this incident I had that was very big in the history. Yeah, it's kind of like the invoked cataclysm, but roughly 400 years ago, there was a dwarf sorcerer over in... Um, Svartheim, who was trying to get hold of Trollheim because of all the gold the trolls had. And so he prepared a massive spell, which was roughly on the level of a wish. And um, for a while in, in, in uh, the previous edition of GURPS, there, were, there was an alternative magic system called Humana, Unlimited Mana. Because GURPS does use a mana system where you use your fatigue energy to fill your spells and it recovers according to what the local mana level is. Um, it's a spell point system, essentially, much like was seen in Warlock, except it's not your hit points. Um, and the bigger the power you try to work with, the higher the rate of catastrophic failure. So he attempted something, and which was teleporting all the trolls out of their mountain and there was a major problem. All right, um, stars fell from the sky, the sea rose, there were earthquakes. Now, stars falling out of the sky is actually kind of fortuitous because um, meteoric iron is uh, magic proof. So I had our lich get directly hit <coughs> several levels deep under the city. He got hit with one of these um, meteors of, of anti-magic metal and was kind of placed in torpor for a long time until he was dug out by someone. Now, he had a servant, and this is also a reflection off of inspiration from Stonehell Dungeon. There's a character he's got running around there called the Plated Mage, which is a very high-level magic user who decided not to become a lich on his route to becoming immortal, and is essentially a cyborg in powered armor that's magically augmented. So um, I had this whole um, delve inspired by, um, by that, where a sage went with the, went with the team, um, which included one of the best uh, bits of munchkinism I've ever seen. It was an ogre in magical plate mail with a super enhanced halberd. I, I really had to give it to the guy. Gorgoth is... Um, an awesome character and 
I just love to see him at work where he just slices, dices, and murderizes anything coming his way. And, I mean, that's how your tank is supposed to be built. The, um, the, the, what they went in for was the library that belonged to Flax, who was the assistant to the Lich Abrax. And Flax had not decided that he wanted to become undead and went the plated mage route. And his um, library was in this tower in the middle of a cavern that was connected by bridge work and had um, all kinds of guardians. It had, you know, a flaming skull dispenser, like a cannon um, shooting those suckers out of doom. It had undead gargoyles that, you know, drained energy flying around. There were armored um, golems on the bridge work approaching. And of course, the place where everyone was trying to get to happened uh, on the way there is where a large portion of the trolls from Trollheim ended up. Now, there's no dragons to be found near Northport because they all moved into Trollheim where there were hordes already waiting. Um, the uh, sorcerer, Fetterjung, who initiated this cataclysm, um, was actually consumed by a, a fire drake. And a lot of the dwarves had to leave uh, Zvorgheim and went on to Dvorgholt, um, far to the north, because uh, the dragon problem was a little bit extreme. Now, at some point, my characters might end up going over there, but at the, at the moment, they are dealing with the trolls. And I had one team of, uh, one character go in with a bunch of NPCs to clear trolls out of somebody's basement. And it was an old school, um, racially motivated uh, genocide. Now, that was due to change with Gorgoth's group, because half of them were close to monsters. The leader of the group was um, was a cat folk thief, and the um, there were a couple other non-humans in the mix as well. That really did. They killed a couple of trolls and realized that they were the invaders, and they ended up now. There is an ongoing trade mission to um, improve surface relations with that batch of trolls. They had to go through individual tests to um, be accepted by the tribe before they were allowed to go out to the library to go fight Flax. Well, Flax did not actually fight with them. Um, they kind of awoke him, and he got up and walked out. And um, they killed a demon that was sort of powering his uh, citadel, and then the whole thing collapsed, which is why later the work crew of um, siege beasts and goblins and um, dark ones were in the process of extracting the material it was made out of to, re uh, to reinforce the cavern it was in, because they didn't want their roof falling down on their heads. Now, Dark Ones are a peculiar thing, much the way the, the kobolds have been rewrit as what it is that dragons designed to interact with people and inhabit cities. Um, dark Ones are what Elder Things did in an attempt to um, inhabit human worlds. And 
now your prototype the the example dark one they uh sorry elder thing they give is is essentially a mind flare so these are their people i got one person who's playing playing one as a character and they've they look kind of like elves except you know they've got cat eyes and their fingers don't have any bones in them and are kind of tentacular and they just happen to be really good at stuff like occultism and demonology but most of them don't realize where they're from um so this is a city built by them and with their goblin slaves and the upper poor upper works were rebuilt by the romans because going back to bainstorm as a point of origin for the way the world worked there was a lost legion that has built eiders all over the place and this was one of their cities but it was built on top of an underground goblin city and below that who knows what and it's now largely inhabited by trolls that teleported in and um also by a really deep um kind of underground tenement of local hobgoblins who are uh, members of the rope makers guild they do a lot of hemp processing and uh smoking uh but it, it's it's a lively place and for the most part characters have only gone around in the upper works like the the immediate upper level i was inspired by something from discovery where um you'll find areas that have got red and white zigzags painted on them because that's the slaves quarters and definitely the both the romans and the original builders of the city had those but they're you know inhabited by like you know members of the guard and things like that but the uh, the first level on top were passageways by which the service workers could travel quickly and people could move under the city without having to be exposed to dragon fire um, below that is the sewer system for that level where all the rainwater is processed and we have um, an enterprising system of otiugs and cages that handle solid waste removal and um, the, the rooms that those are in serve as catchments for things that get stuck in the pipes and the sewer workers go around with small pole arms to pull stuff out of the pipes and carts to drag um, whatever dead things they find to the otiug pens no one's gotten much lower than that but things are going to get interesting when they do hopefully things get interesting for you and your game with that i'll leave you